listening to Chill Time with Will Moore. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. This is Chill Time is Will Time, and I'm your host, William Moore. For those of you who are used to listening to the podcast or and are my loyal listeners or followers, that's something that you already know. But if you are new to the podcast, I'd like to say thank you for joining in. Welcome, and I hope you enjoy the show. If you've not already had the chance, please take the time out and uh, subscribe to the podcast on any platform that you're listening to me on. And also, to, you know, give it a try and take a listen to any of the other episodes, previous episodes that I have put out before this. I hope you really enjoy it. And, you know, thanks for jumping on the journey with me. It has been actually a little while, actually, since I recorded. Um, I took some took a little hiatus so I could do some things to improve the podcasting experience for my listeners. I've learned some different things on the way, learned about some different programs, things like that, and I've always tried. I've tried to add it to the uh, add it to uh, my, my my show so that I can uh, improve the listeners' experience. Any new things, you know, any new tools that I can pick up along the way, any new equipment. Any new advice, tips that I get from other people who are podcasting and have their own shows out, I always try to listen, uh, apply, and do whatever I can to bring, like I said, bring the greatest listening experience to all my listeners and those who take the time out to, to listen to the show. As always, you guys know I appreciate you, and I wouldn't do this unless I did appreciate you. So if you're a little 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 peeved at me from taking a break no it was just only so i could refine what i was doing refine the show so that i could bring you the greatest experience that i could you know possibly that i could bring you and, and you know rest assured that i will continue to do better continue to try to make the show better so that i can definitely get bring you the greatest experience ever and with that, let me you know, let me start rambling and kind of get on into the show. Uh, some updates that I have going on. I got some things that I'm working on, such as T-shirts. I am definitely in the uh, have some T-shirts in the works. Going to have some T-shirts made. Send some of those out to my loyal some of my loyal listeners, and they're definitely going to be sent out as gifts to those who have been gracious enough. Uh, who I definitely appreciate for taking the time out. If you are somebody who's ever been interviewed on my show, you've taken the time out to come either call in or come sit with me and tell your life story, tell talk about your profession, talk about the different things that you do, uh, kind of just sit and, 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 and jibber-jabber with me and talk about things that are going on out there in the world. I definitely want to reward you. It's just a little, it's not much, but it's definitely a little token of my affection and appreciation for let you know that, you know, I, I definitely appreciate you taking the time out of your day. It's something that you did not have to do. And I, as long as my listeners, we really appreciate you. So, you know, moving on from that, there is, you know, since the last show I recorded, there's been a lot of material that I can get on here and talk about. A lot of material. I could easily probably do a four or five hour show right now. I'm definitely not going to do that though. I'm going to talk a little bit about a couple of things that stick out to me the most. Uh, mainly my beef with the NFL, but not just the NFL, but also NFL players too. I got to stop picking on the NFL so much and start uh, start putting some of the onus and start started start putting some of the blame. And, and taking up issue with some of the NFL players as well. And as we go on further into the show, you'll realize more and more what I'm talking about. I'm also going to talk about a documentary that I watched earlier, and it was called Blurred Lines. And it it, it, it basically the focus of that documentary was on 
the big business and industry of art. Our galleries, our collectors, our dealers. Uh, it was definitely um, a little eye-opening. Some of the stuff I already knew, but I'm definitely going to touch on that as well. And then we're going to talk about, you know, some little the little minor things that uh, have happened since then. Some not so minor, but some things that have just stuck out. This is the first show that I've recorded since the midterms. The midterms elections, when everybody was expecting a blue wave, a lot of liberals or Democrats out there were expecting, you know, after these first two years of the Trump administration, uh, that a lot of people would be upset with how Republicans have been running the show, seeing as how they, they have been in control of all three branches of government. And i just been hearing a lot of stuff about a blue wave. You know, the Democrats are going to flip the House, going to take the Senate, yada, yada, yada. Well, one thing did happen. The Democrats did flip the House. They did take Congress. They did, however, not make any waves in the Senate. Matter of fact, they didn't even hold 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 the fort. They didn't even hold the rope, hold the line. They actually lost seats in the Senate. Um, and to me, whereas everybody else is looking at this as an optimist, you know, looking through this through an optimistic, optimistic lens, as in the Democrats have taken back the House, that shows that, you know, maybe the Democrats have learned their lesson and they're are prepping themselves and politically maneuvering themselves in a great position to move on the Senate or the presidency for 2020. I kind of look at it a little bit different, uh, a little differently. Um, first and foremost, like I said, I don't agree that it was a blue wave. Second of all, I look at this as just a, t uh, a, ch a chance for them to be essentially what the Republican government or Republican uh, Party did during the last, the you know, Obama's second term, which is being a, an obstructionist party. There's really not a whole lot that they can get done with uh, with the control of, of the House right now. And one of the reasons I say that is because they seem to still be stuck on the uh, the Russia investigation. Strategically, I think that this that's just a terrible idea. Um, as many of my listeners know, you've probably heard me say in the past that I'm a firm believer that the Democratic Party has lost touch with their base. They do not understand their base, especially when they, we were, we're talking about people of color. Um, some may argue that they haven't lost touch with their base at all because the Democratic Party doesn't care about people of color as well. I cannot totally disagree with that argument. Um, actually, I won't disagree with that argument. Um, but I will say they're not doing a very good job of putting up the, the so-called facade that they want everybody to believe that they're putting up. Um, the reason I say that is one of the biggest, one of the biggest, I guess, barriers to the Democratic uh, Party uh, winning a lot of elections is actually the, the case of voter suppression. We see the case of uh, the, the gubernatorial race in Georgia with Stacey Abrams, who lost to to her, uh, her, her, her Republican um, opponent who essentially was like judge judge and jury when it came to how voting played out in that state. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I want to say they discovered something around that they had issues all over the place, including and the state of Florida, two states where there had to be huge recounts. Um, I believe it's the state of Florida where in one case they found 72 voting machines 
in a warehouse still wrapped in cellophane. And I think that that's absolutely uh, atrocious. Um, it's a tragedy. And it's something that's not going to stop. It's just another form of voter suppression. People think that voter suppression just comes in the form of voter ID laws or, um, you know, one party finding different way, uh, one party uh, physically keeping people from being able to vote um, through 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 means such as. Um, well, let, 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 let's go back to the drawing board here because I, I think I am. I'm not doing a very good well of articulating myself. So there's many different ways that voters to, to commit voter suppression. There's one very insidious way um, through mass incarceration, which, uh, which the Republican Party has done a great job of doing with, our, you know, how they manipulate our criminal justice system. Everybody knows you're getting felonies, you've lost the right to vote. All right, there is cases where you have voter ID laws. There are cases where voting stations are shut down in certain neighborhoods, almost always shut down in neighborhoods full of people of color or, or, or more of a blue-leaning district. You have cases like I described a little bit earlier where 72 voting machines mysteriously um, didn't disappear but were found after the election uh, still wrapped in plastic and in a warehouse you have issues and where was it i think it was atlanta where some voting machines showed up without their power cords and seemingly blue voting districts so all these are different ways used that suppress use uh, 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 as tactics a way to suppress the blue vote instead of focusing on that to ensure more more legitimate and fair elections the, the, the Democratic Party is still, you know, the, one of the first things they said they were going to do was to ramp up the oversight on the Russia investigation, Russia investigations. I've said time and time again, in our in, 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 in colors of, you know, communities of color, do people understand that Russia had some influence or had some uh, so sort of tampered with our elections? Yes. But this is also something that happens at elections all over the world all the time. Anybody who does not know this needs to really get more involved in politics and read a book. This country has contributed to that in other countries many times over. Matter of fact, if you look at a lot of the conflicts that are going on across the world, it is indeed because of tampering by the United States and other people's elections and politics. Okay? So we understand that that happens. But, what, but the things that are most affecting our communities... Again, as I repeat, like a broken record, underfunded schools, lack of resources, police brutality, over-policing of our neighborhoods, disproportionate prison and jail sentences, a broken criminal justice system, lack of access to healthy food, adequate transportation, all these things which predominantly you know, are issues that face communities of color. The Democratic Party really doesn't talk about running on those type of issues. Not very, not as much, not very often. And anytime they bring them up, they bring it up just, you know, right at the cusps, you know, the heat of election time to get people of color, you know, out to vote and win those votes. You know, they make them feel like it's a number one priority. And then after the election, they're no longer, you know, they're no longer priorities. 
This is not a good this is not a good model for winning. This is not a good model for winning at all. Because as 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 you know, the Republican Party continues to try to suppress the vote and manipulate the way our you know, our democratic process works. The Democratic Party will continue, you know, I hope as the Republican Party continues to, to suppress the vote and gr- grossly manipulate our democratic process, um, the Democratic Party is continually to chase a ghost, something that doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. Yes, we need better uh, security when it comes to that sort of thing. We need more cybersecurity. We need better foreign policy deal. You know, we need better foreign policy practice to begin with. And some of these things wouldn't be such an issue. But they're they're really missing the missing the boat if that is going to be their main focus, which they've already come out and talked about doing. And then ultimately what's going to happen is all they're going to do is function as essentially an obstructionist party like the Republican Party uh, functioned under Obama's second, so a second term. But the and 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 it's going to be turned against them. And the reason I say that is because one thing the Republican Party has shown to be do a great job at uh, do a great job at doing is 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 using narrative, turning the narrative around to either break even or to their advantage. This is what I mean by that. When the Republican Party did their best to make sure that nothing happened, that Obama you know could almost get nothing done. To obstruct anything he tried to do, including it, you know, Supreme Court justices uh, uh, sworn in and um, certain certain laws and bills passed, they did a great job of making it seem like the the issue was Washington as a whole. And indeed, there is a huge issue in Washington with the way our politics functions. Personally, I don't believe either party really fights for the people; they fight for themselves and their corporate uh, their corporate cronies. But what the Republican Party was was excellent at is really like is really making themselves that making it seem like it was everybody, not just them. When there was a government shutdown, when people weren't getting certain, uh, you know, some of these some of our government employees weren't getting paid, when you know some people simply weren't getting some of the things that were owed to them. You know, pensions, different things like that because of a government shutdown. That affected everybody. That was because of the Republican Party's greed and need to 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 to, to muddy up the water, to shake everything up. But it came out as being something that it was due to all of Washington. And I know that the change of narrative works because people like the Koch brothers pay millions and millions of dollars every year for to get people to write op-eds why because op, op-eds a well-written op, op-ed has a is, has a great chance and it's shown to be very effective in changing people's opinion, opinions and, and affecting people's ideas and the way they think about things i spoke about that in a, a previous episode too when i was talking about how narratives are used and how narratives affect everything from how people view view welfare to how people view people of other colors to have from how people you know view social justice issues, everything, and the Democratic Party continues to f- to be terrible at this very this very same tactic, you know, before during Donald Trump's 2016 campaign run, one of the main things he talked about 
was Colin Hillary, Hillary Clinton, Crooked Hillary. He talked about her emails, how she was using uh, an email server that wasn't uh, properly uh, hooked up through government channels, and she deleted emails, and how she should be locked up, um, be jailed. Even at one point, I think he said she should be killed at some point. Um, he used this narrative to drum up a lot of distrust uh, around Hillary Clinton. A lot of people already had a hard time trusting her, but he really used this to rally up his base. Matter of fact, he still uses it today. Two years in, he's already won the he's 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 he's, he's won the election. He sits in the highest office in the land, and they still chanting lock her up at different rallies. Republicans using that as an awesome narrative to get what they want. Now let's flip the script. I'm gonna show you how Democrats fail to do the same thing. Donald Trump still uses a, a cell phone that really isn't government issue, that isn't encrypted. People can hack it. People can bug it. He's sending texts and tweets from non-government issue devices. But I yet to hear very many people talk about that uh, from the liberal side and from liberal media. Ivanka Trump was just discovered to be sending emails for the past year or so, government emails, talking and speaking on government business talking about government business and government issues through a private email server. Once again, not very secure. Could be hacked, bugged by anybody. I've heard very little. I've heard very, very little the past week and a half about that from the Democratic Party. See, they, very, they, they really lack the ability to seize, seize the moment and take certain issues and use that narrative to their advantage. I mean, strategically speaking, I feel like the Republican Party plays chess while the Democratic Party plays checkers. Democratic Party is totally reactive. Republican Party thinks ahead and is very strategic. Not Donald Trump specifically. We know how he is. He's an imbecile and he's very active. But the, the conservative party as a whole always seems to be a couple of steps ahead of the Democratic Party. And that's why the Democratic Party continues to fall behind, in my opinion. And we got to fix that. And so... You know, I can only hope that within the next year or so, the next couple of years, that the Democratic Party kind of looks at looks at, you know, the midterms as not a success, but show where they need to continue to do work, to continue to reach out and to continue to actually more authentically engage people of color, make them a priority. Um, so that they can win some of those uh, seats back in the Senate, and maybe get Trump out of there in 2020. Personally, I think he's going to get a, uh, he's going to be reelected. But by all means, I don't see what the midterms is a blue wave, and I hope the Democratic Party sees this as um, a chance to really regroup, reprogram, and stop playing checkers and start playing chess, start redrawing the game plan to 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 do better. Now. What, I'm going to get on a topic that I alluded to earlier. Uh, a lot of you know that I've been very, very, very critical of the NFL over the whole Colin Kaepernick situation. Um, I have boycotted NFL. I have not watched NFL football for the past two years in support of Kaepernick. Um, the NFL, once again, has shown that it's a business, which we all know. But that their true, their true aim has nothing to do with anything regarding social justice, regarding the people. It's all it's all about making money. So for the so for the simple fact that they, you know, 
uh, have you know a, a, a breast cancer you know a, a month um, have a different weekends where they you know you can you know wear different color cleats and stuff like that to raise money for this issue raise money for that issue that's all publicity to me that's that that it's not in the spirit of, of actual altruism it's just a gimmick all right I mean even this this just this past weekend running back cream hunt was discovered to there's a film out on TMZ of him pushing and kicking a woman uh, and he's ultimately was placed on a commissioner's exempt list and he had was released by the Kansas City Chiefs I want to know how TMZ or anybody and this supposedly happened in February how TMZ or anybody like that got a hold of this information and the NFL couldn't Similar to the Ray Rice situation. It's supposed to be a, such a powerful entity. Does its homework. Finds out everything they can about players before they draft them. Finds out stuff about anything about what they did from 9, 10, 11 years old. Finds out dirt on their family members. All that brings it up in when it comes to interviews before the draft, before free agency. All that type of stuff. But they didn't know about this issue that happened in February. And there are numerous other players who are still in the league for domestic violence issues, matter of, or been arrested for this, that, and the other. League has no problem signing domestic violence abusers, but they got an issue with a man protesting police brutality. And and by the way, hold on. Let me let me let me sidetrack here for a second too. I'm because I'm, I'm, I'm gonna speak on the whole domestic violence thing, fellas. I'm kind of getting real tired of seeing. Seeing this stuff happening with y'all just beating up on women. And it's not to say that, you know what I mean? Like, there aren't some situations where somebody you with might not get on your nerves or something like that. But my thing is, if you feel like you got to curse her out or you feel like you got to put your hands on her, you don't need to be with her. You need to walk away. Nobody should be putting their hands on anybody. Men shouldn't be putting their hands on women. Women should be putting their hands on men. And fellas, even if she puts her hands on you, let it go. Call the police. Call the police. I ain't saying brush it off, act like whatever. Call the police. She should be punished too for assault. But you don't need to be putting your hands back on her like that. You don't. Barring you being in a situation, she's got a knife or a gun or something like that. And you're literally, it's self-defense because your you're, you're little life is at stake. Keep your hands to yourself. Everybody is getting ridiculous. Then Kareem Hunt had a very promising career, and he threw it all down the drain because I don't know if he was intoxicated, whether the young lady was intoxicated, whatever be the case. But can't keep your hands to yourself. Not a smart move, love young brother. Not a smart move at all. Be better than that. Be better than that. Now your life is forever changed. Your life is forever changed. As a people in general... I think we need to figure out better ways to use our words and stop using our hands. Stop using our hands with each other all the time. I know some people make it real easy to want to raise your hands up against them, but we got we we, we got to come up with a different frame of thought. We got to you know we got to change the narrative in our head and reframe the way we think to keep ourselves out of certain situations and put ourselves in in in, in more successful situations. 
but I'll get back out there and get back on the league. So, so we, so we, so we see what the league does, what the league prioritizes. I'm not, I'm no longer shocked and surprised at the league. The league um, prioritizes money. It's a league run by you know rich white men who care about rich white men things like making more money. Players don't mean anything to them. Social justice doesn't mean anything to them. They're a commodity. What I am disappointed in, what I am going to bring issue up with, though, I'm going to stop you know, beating down the league itself, the ownership itself, because the ownership, it is what it is. They do what they do. We already know what they're about. We can't expect them to do anything altruistic or care about anything else, to, to care about humanity, care about anything else other than, other than the bottom dollar. Ultimately, what I'm trying to say with, you know, even though I'm talking, you know, talking around in circles or whatnot, is no longer do I really feel like the NFL failed, uh, has failed Colin Kaepernick. The NFL players failed Colin Kaepernick. The players failed Colin Kaepernick. And here's where I'm going with this. Matter of fact, I think Mitch Jamel Hill wrote an article on this a little while back. Colin Kaepernick doesn't have a job. You know, some people try to make the excuse, oh, it's, you know, nobody, no team wants to sign him because he wasn't a good quarterback and they don't want to deal with the circus that he brings. I'm sorry. If standing up for police brutality, standing up against police brutality is a circus, I got to question your individual, your, your humanity, and I got to question the type of individual you are. And I have an issue with this because this young man essentially sacrificed his career for every minority and players that look just like him because a lot of these players you know seem to forget no matter how much money you make no matter how many pro bowls you went to no matter no matter how many touchdowns you scored how many tackles you made if you're a person of color you're still a person of color and this day and age police officers all they have to do is use the excuse i was afraid for my life they're mistaking cell phones for weapons and shooting people in the back. Some people don't even have weapons. In the case of uh, Botham St. Jean, police officers are just walking into an apartment, shooting and killing people, and saying they made a mistake. They thought it was their own apartment. He's, he took a knee for you, too. He's speaking out for you, too. And very little y'all do anything. Now, I will give respect to, to cats like Kenny Stills who still continue to knee, to Eric Reed, who was there with Kaepernick in the beginning and continues in, to take a knee. And the league is still showing how dubious they are by mysterious, you know, so, you know, supposedly it's a random drug test. But since he's been in the league, he's been randomly drug tested six, seven times. Seems like a low, uh, a low form of harassment to me. But, you know, that's something for the NFLPA, the Players Association, to take up to take up, uh, you know, take up with the league. But for the most part, a lot of people aren't saying anything. Think of think of what would happen if a lot of big name players like a Tom Brady. Well, let me not say Tom Brady because Tom Brady used to wear the Make America Great Again hat on. So we know where he stands at. We know where he stands with social justice issues and, in my opinion, with a race issue as well. Um, but, you know, people can disagree with me. That's neither here nor there. But somebody like Aaron Rodgers, who's vocally come out and said that he believes Colin Kaepernick is being blackballed as well. But Aaron, put your money where your mouth is. How about you take a knee? Or what about, what if five of the best players on each team says, you know what? We all sitting out until you give Kaepernick a chance. You give him a shot. Now, they're expressing their right as individuals to, to do what they want. They don't have to do that. They don't have to do it at all. But you know what? 
That's what being a brother, that's what unity is all about. Sacrificing for one another. That's what the NFL Players Association is supposed to be about. That's what the union is supposed to be about. Union was invented. The, 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 the union came about because it was a way for players to come together and express their desire for you know fair treatment and rights on the job to their employers. You know, you know, we want they want more of a say in the way they're treated on the job. But as it goes to speak, the NFL Players Union is probably the weakest union I've ever seen. Definitely the weakest sports union. Personally, I think they need to take take a couple of notes or some pointers from the Major League Baseball uh, Players Union or the NBA. They have two of the strongest sports unions I've ever seen. They have some two of the strongest unions I've ever seen. Despite it being a sport, just professionally, professionally across the board, those players have legit power. They have the, the the legit ability to get out of get whatever they want and to and to move mountains to 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 get things going. I'll give you a prime example: Major League Baseball guaranteed, very lucrative, very and guaranteed contracts for the players. Uh, NBA. Professional soccer, hockey, um, individual sports like tennis, their purses and stuff like that ain't guaranteed. One thing that is different for all those sports, the NFL, is the NFL is the most physically demanding, toughest sport to play in the world. Outside of, I would say, rugby. I've, I've never played rugby. I looked at it, but it looks it looks pretty. Like, you got to be a tough person to... to uh, to play that sport. And then also the martial arts uh, fight of Tetway, uh, which comes out of, I think, Burma. Um, and it's basically, you know, kickboxing with no gloves and you can headbutt. So all you UFC fans who think UFC is tough, it has nothing on Tetway. But the NFL is the most physically demanding sport there is, one of the most physically demanding sports there are. Players are getting CTE, getting early onset dementia, Alzheimer's. They're killing themselves. They're having a lifetime of injuries. Players are walking, either not walking at all or using canes and wheelchairs later in their years, having to, having to retire early, have, you know, suffering from debilitating arthritis. Some will never walk again, have gotten paralyzed playing the game. But yet, a lot of people don't realize the NFL player's contract is not fully guaranteed. You might see one of your favorite players sign a contract for eighty some million dollars, but only twenty or thirty million dollars of that guarantee. The rest of it is incentive laden. The only guarantee contracts that a lot of these NFL players may ever get actually will come from their endorsements. And who knows? Some of those endorsements are, are have also maybe incentive laden at all as as well. So you have a game. So they're playing a game where it's the toughest game in the world, and they're getting the least out of it when you look at other sports. You would think that that would make them wise up and stick together and be strong for each other and fight for one of their brothers, but they won't do it. That same mentality um, bleeds over into to, to contract situations. Let's take a look at Le'Veon Bell. That's why I have the utmost respect for Le'Veon Bell. I'm not even a Steelers fan, never really cared for the Steelers, but I got much love and respect for them. The same the NFL players, in a way, to me, feel like it's like a crab in a bucket mentality, always pulling one another down, which is why they can't come up as a whole. Which is why I'm tired of seeing a lot of these NFL players complain about not having this, not having that, the owner's doing this, commissioner doing that. Stick up for each other. 
Stand up for one another. Here we got a case of Le'Veon Bell, star running back for the Steelers. Top, absolutely been one of the best running backs in the league for the past four to five years. Wanted more of a more than, wanted more long term, a more of a long term deal, more of a commitment from the team. Team always wants players to put the team first. Sometimes, and, and 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 when the t- come the time comes for players to ask teams to you know make them a priority, they don't want to do that. So what do they do? Instead of guaranteeing him long term uh, support or a, a long term commitment, they franchise tag him. Franchise tag means that we're going to sign you to a one year deal, and we're, your your salary for that one year will be the average of like the top three or four salaries at your position in the league. Now, yep, that's a big, that's a that's a big salary. But what happens if you get hurt? You get seriously hurt, and you can never play ball again. You just got that one year's worth of salary there, or better yet, put it in this terms for all you people out there who don't play sports and still have a hard time understanding it. What if the job you worked, you you work in a job, and and every year your job pretty much told you, you know what, this is a one year thing. You're not guaranteed to be, you know, you know, you're not guaranteed to work here the very next year, um, and not just work here because a lot. I know a lot of people might, you know, will come up with the excuse, "Oh, none of us are. We could all be fired at any moment." But what if it wasn't about being fired? What if your job was like was telling you you're not guaranteed to be working for us here next year? You may have to go work on the other side of the country. That's essentially what NFL free agents and stuff are going through. You can't pick, you can't set up roots. You can't really build a foundation anywhere on one-year deals without long-term commitments from these teams. So that's why more players are looking for long-term commitments. And Le'Veon Bell knows his value. So he says, you know what? Not only am I not going to show up to minicamp, I'm going to sit out until you show a commitment to me. And one of the things that I think is great about it is he stuck to his guns. Set out this whole year, not getting paid for this whole this whole season. Now, whether or not he was uh, responsible enough with his money to where it, it's not bothering him financially, I don't know. But even if he, even if he, even if, whether he was or wasn't, even if he wasn't, I think that says a lot about his character that he's willing to put that on the line because he means business. He's valuing himself as an individual, as an athlete. You know, teams like to treat these players as a commodity. Well, then he's valuing himself as a commodity more than the team will. And I don't see anything wrong with that. If they're going to treat you as a business, then you think about it as a business as well. You think about it, sometimes you have to be selfish. How did his teammates repay him? It went from, oh, we love L. Bell. We love Le'Veon Bell. Le'Veon Bell is one of the best backs. He's a special player to all type of negative things to say about him. Marquise Pouncey had negative things to say about him. Or Marcus Pouncey, the center for the Steelers. A couple of the players on defense, some of the other old linemen, had nothing but negative things to say about him. So instead of supporting their, their brother and realizing that he's doing something that in, long, in the long term, he's setting a blueprint for them to show them how to get more commitment from the team and maybe something that can change the dynamics, the, the dynamics across the league-wide um, for how teams commit to players. They look at it as, a, as an opportunity to slander him just because for once, he's not putting a team before himself. As if there aren't other running backs there. As if there aren't other players there. See, they're only thinking about themselves. That's the funny thing about it. They think about, they're thinking about it as him being selfish, whereas they're being selfish. They're thinking about themselves 
whether rather than thinking what he's doing actually benefits every player in this league. As I said, crabs in a bucket. And the same thing has happened to Kaepernick, except it has nothing to do with contracts. Nothing to do with contracts. Colin Kaepernick is doing something that not just benefits them, benefits people nationwide. And instead of supporting him, mum's the word, nobody's saying anything. A few people are kneeling, sticking sticking to their guns, doing is you know supporting him that way. A couple people saying are saying things, but what are words without actions? What are words without actions? Nothing. You want to force the league's hand? You want to move? You want to move mountains? Then you got to unite. You got to work together to bring about change. A fist is stronger than five individual fingers. That's why when you fight and you punch people, you don't smack around. So when I start to, so what? As I was sitting around, I started to think about these different, these different issues. The issues with Kaepernick, you know, why he sit out of the league, you know, what the things that are going on with Le'Veon Bell. I started to think to myself, why am I bashing the NFL itself, like the ownership itself? They they're doing exactly what they're supposed to do. They functioning, they're functioning exactly like they always have and like you would expect them to. It's the players that I have the real issue with. They're the ones I have the issue with. Out for themselves, not sticking up for each other. Whereas if they stick up for each other, they all benefit in the end anyway. Personally and professionally. So shout out to Le'Veon Bell. Stick to your guns, man. You're still one of the best backs in the league. And somebody's going to pick you up. Somebody's going to see the value in the way you work. And if there's another star player out there that's paying any type of attention and sees the type of brilliant move that you just pulled, they'll do the same. And I got a very sneaking suspicion. As history tells it on the back end, both you and Kyle Kaepernick will be remembered finally. Kaepernick from a social justice standpoint and you from a professional standpoint, from a business standpoint. Kudos to y'all for sticking to your guns and doing what you need to do. And for y'all who still want to come out and talk crap and talk about Kaepernick doesn't have a job because he's not a great quarterback, spare me. We know what you're about. You got cats like Mark Sanchez getting signed. You got cats like Brian Hoyer, other quarterbacks that haven't thrown a pass in the league or been in the league one to two years who have been getting signed as free agents to teams who don't have near the amount of talent or production as Colin Kaepernick did. You can't pull those shenanigans over on anybody with a brain. But I digress. I'm going to move on from that. I kind of want to touch base too quickly before I t- you know, take up too much of you guys' time on the the uh, the documentary that I watched on Netflix. It was called Blurred Lines. And Blurred Lines, as I was mentioned earlier, talked about the art world. The art world as, as an industry. The world of dealers, galleries. Very little about the artists themselves, but more or less about how the art as an industry has become so commercialized and, and, and so much about money that it, very little of it is actually about the art or the artist anymore. And I thought that was really sad as somebody who considers himself, an, as a, who not considers, who is an artist, myself, and somebody who really appreciates art. Art was never meant to make money. Art was meant to inspire. Art was meant to express. Express ideas, visions, feelings, prophecies, everything. That's what art was about. 
one of the you know one of the people in the, uh, the documentary was quoted as saying, "Art these days now is being specifically produced to make money." And while I do believe artists should be well compensated for 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 their craft because they put a lot of time and effort into it, and those resources and things like that take take money. And that artists also need a way, a way to express themselves or to to provide for themselves. What I have an issue with is when we turn art into uh, a, a million dollar industry and million dollar industry, meaning everybody's not getting paid like that. The, the way this documentary portrayed it, there are very, very few artists who are making uh, actually a living wage who can claim to be an artist who is living off of their work and their paintings and you know sculptures and things like that that are going on that are being sold for 75 million, 80 million, 100 million dollars and that is not the case for every artist. So what it does is it sets this unrealistic market. And 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 the thing that pains me the most is it's turned the art world into a world for very uh, bougie arrogant snobbish folks it's a way for them to it's an art is an investment for them it's not it's, it's not about the art art is an investment for them it's a way to show off how wealthy they are it's a way to show off how prestigious they feel themselves to be and how they believe uh they want other people to see them it isn't about the, the beauty of the piece. It isn't about the work or the expression that the artist put into it. It isn't about the story, the message that the artist was trying to uh, convey. It it it's it's turned into a way for snobby rich people to throw money around. One of these days, that's going to have to change. I'm gonna make sure that changes. I'm not gonna really tell you all. You tell you guys how, but I'm gonna make sure that changes. Art is for everybody. Art is made by everybody. Art needs to be accessible to everybody. To sit there and watch this doc, I mean, it was a very good documentary, but to sit there and watch this documentary and see all these different people interviewed who are just like such like nose in the air, snobbish, aristocratic, any other you know negative or non-favorable adjective you can use to describe a materialistic person. It was just full of these, you know, these different types of people talking about art, talking about having debates on whether or not the industry industry should be regulated like stocks or bonds. And the sad thing is that's what a lot of these art pieces are to a lot of people. They're they're essentially it's like stocks and bonds. There's even corruption that goes on in the industry from dealers quoting several different prices to different customers are coming in so they so that they can get the largest cut while the artist themselves gets a little piece of that and doesn't you know no no matter how much the work the, the piece of the work is sold for not knowing that the cut that their dealer you know may have gotten from the deal could be more than they have gotten themselves for actually producing the piece you know art galleries purposely not putting what they paid for the pieces there so that when people come in to buy, they start off at a, you know some sort of ridiculous high point, paying a ridiculous amount more than what the piece the, the piece was paid for, the piece was um, what was asked for the piece to begin with. 
I mean, come on, people. Like, what, what, what's going on now? Like, art is culture. I mean, I guess ultimately I shouldn't be surprised because that's what we do in America. That's what that's what capitalism is about: commodifying everything, even culture. It's you know nothing is off limits. But it was just sad to see a discipline, something that I care about so much, seeing it being to me it's almost like desecrated and being made unavailable to the people, to everybody, to the world to enjoy. I mean, heck. Some of, a lot of these art pieces are, are being sold for so much to so a lot of these collectors who are using them for status symbols who don't even really know much about art that a lot of people don't realize that a lot of these museums that, that house some of, these, some of these artworks, they don't own them. They were either donated or they're being borrowed. They can't afford to own a lot of these pieces. When you look at the fact that a lot of these museums are either free to get into or their cover is, you know, less than 20 bucks. They can't afford to own a lot of the pieces that people go see when they go in there. A lot of the artists that create these pieces couldn't afford to buy something from their peers because of the way that a lot of these wealthier people are driving, you know, driving the values up in the market. Personally, I look at that as a, as a, as a big issue. And it's like I said, it's something that has to change and it's something that will change eventually. Um, and hopefully in a very near future. So with that, with that being said, I'm going to get off of here. I don't want to talk too long. Don't want to talk everybody's ear off too much, but I hope everybody appreciated the show. It, as always, as I always say, if you have any comments, questions, um, anything that you want to say about what you heard here today, um, you want to critique me, you know, you disagree with anything I said, please send me an email to chilltimepod at gmail.com. Don't forget, you can also check out the the, the, the podcast Instagram page. Uh, the handle is Chill Time Pod. And if you are listening to whatever platform you're listening to this podcast on, please be sure to leave leave me a review, leave me a rating. It makes it easier for other people to find a podcast. Tell me what you enjoyed about the podcast, what episodes you enjoyed, the content material you liked, um, and 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 what. Give me, you know, tell me what you want to listen to, what you want to hear. Some things that I haven't talked about that you want to hear me talk about on here. You guys definitely know I'll do the research and I'll come on here and talk your ear off about it. Also, if you are somebody who would like to be a guest on the show, like to call in, come visit, sit, be interviewed. You got an amazing life story that you feel like you would like to divulge or talk about. Just some interest you would like to talk about. A profession, a very interesting profession that you would like to talk about and inform other people about. Please. Get in contact with me. As I said, chilltimepod at gmail.com is the email. And chilltimepod Chill is the podcast Instagram handle. Once again, as I always say, I appreciate you guys taking the time out to listen to this podcast. I appreciate you guys taking the time out to, to listen to me. And just, I would like for everybody to, if you could do me a favor, spread the word to your friends, your family, your peers about the podcast. Love to get more listeners aboard. Um, so I can get more insight from the people, hear more from the people, and interact and talk with more people. With that being said, I'd like to say thank you. I pre- appreciate you, and I'm out of here.